Hello, and welcome back to Smallville Chronicles. My name is Lou Gonzalez. Joined, as always, is Alan Muir. Holy moly, we made it past an episode. Yes, we are on to the sequel. This episode is a little bit different than the first episode. Definitely, we were just talking about how there's a little bit of a budget difference that's pretty obvious. Um, but before we get into that, I just wanted to say, I know in the first episode I had brought up, i um, wondering, I think I'd heard that the castle, that's the Luther Castle, is the same one used in Arrow, and that's actually right. It is the exact same. The exterior shots are the of that mansion is the same mansion that's used in the first couple seasons of Arrow for the Queen House. It was also used in the first X-Men movies as the uh, Xavier School for Extraordinary Children, which is hilarious that this I, one place. I did not know. Yeah. So it's just one. I can't remember where it was from, but it's like this one castle that just, I guess it just has like a look because it's a kind of English Scottish style castle that's in the States. Yeah, they did a similar thing with, um, this has nothing to do with comic books or comic book shows, but Boy Meets World and another show, they had the, like, wide shot of the school was the same for that and another show. I guess it makes sense if, like, you have a place that's, like, extremely photogenic, like, if you look at the CW shows, they use that, I guess, that one park in Vancouver that has those steps. Yeah. yeah. I guess if you just find a spot, like, everybody just kind of knows. So any show that needs, like, a giant castle slash giant rich people mansion, um, they use the same one. But I guess we can get into episode two, um, season one. Uh, the episode is Metamorphosis. Is there anything you want to get touch on before we get into the plot? Yes. Um, this episode and the pilot were, were made, were combined into a... Uh into like one of those dvd movies yeah i think i'd seen something that it was like outside the u.s they were kind of also shown as like a two-hour premiere yeah and that that part i can see why they brought back chad chad Danella for the 200th episode yeah it does make since he's sense. Kind of, since it, it sort of he's sort of both not in and in the pilot yeah, and of our first couple of villains, he's killed off in not necessarily like in a way that you could bring him back. I think we'll get as we go through, we'll see that like a lot of these early villains kind of kill themselves off, or they get kind of beat in a way where there's no way to really bring them back. I believe actually, like because they did, this is one of the first shows I think had like an online aspect to it, uh, which is kind of where our name comes from. Because yeah, they the, like a, the Chloe Chronicles. The, yeah, they actually did an episode where somebody finds one of the bugs um, later on. Um, I've never seen those, but I might check them out once we get to, I guess, one of the seasons when they started doing that. All right, so I guess uh, we can get into the plot. After seeing this episode, I think it's pretty obvious that the kind of structure that they built, especially in these early seasons, you kind of have your main plot, you have a, and then you have like a BC plot. I tend to think, especially getting to episode three, the B-plot tends to be the relationship with Clark and his parents, as well as the expansion of his powers, because they're the ones they initially, the only ones kind of dealing with that, since nobody else knows. And I guess Pete later on will kind of fall into that. And then the C-plot tends to be like Lex and Lana, their character growth, because they don't really delve into anybody else this early in the show. Yeah, and for when it comes to Pete, he finds out in, in the second season okay yeah so especially for this first season especially when we get to episode four i think is the next one where we get um the x-ray vision um 
we kind of see there's like that subplot in each episode with Clark, especially with Jonathan dealing with the fact of his expanding abilities and how he is using them. And they did, well, there's some Man of Steel there. I just want to bring up, I'll bring up a Man of Steel scene when we get, when we get to the x-ray vision stuff on, oh, the, okay. next, on the next episode. Yep. Um, I'm sure that as we go through this, there's going to be a lot of Man of Steel and BVS comparisons, especially Man of Steel with Jonathan Kent here. Um, who is my Jonathan Kent? Yes, hashtag my John Kent. All right, so let's get to the plot. Pretty easy plot. This is where we start getting to the real ham-fisted, over-the-top... Freak of the uh, week. Freak of the week, exactly. Um, basically, we have Creepy Bug Boy. He's a peeping Tom slash stalker of Lana. Yeah, who to... isn't in this? I know. At least Clark is like a half mile away, we learned. This guy's literally in her tree, like the dad from Back to the Future. And uh, he's leaving a box of butterflies in Lana's room, so he's not just stalking and peeping, he's also breaking an entry. He's Uh, also filming her. Yes. Uh, We never see him, I think he's taking pictures, but we never see a video camera, but we do see the videotape later on. Um, From here, he gets into a fight with his mom, takes his kryptonite flyer flies, which are super green, um, jumps in his Volkswagen bug, again, hitting you over the roach that this is Bug Boy, and rocks out to pop a roach until he hits a tree and gets attacked by all these insects. These kryptonite-infected insects. Yes. And um, I just want to they- say that I really like the... Um, the uh, butterflies, the effects for the butterflies. I know they're, oh. C- they're CG, but they looked pretty good. I said most of the bugs, the actual insects that we see are pretty good for 2001. Some of the other stuff we'll get to later on, not so much. But from here, we do learn that this is basically the day after uh, the, the pilot episode. Again, connecting it very closely to that pilot episode. Like you said, they did like a movie and it premiered in some places together. But we go to a locals farmer market where we see uh, Whitney and Lana confront, uh, talk to Clark. Whitney gives Clark the look. Don't tell her what I did, even though I'm a douche. And Whitney goes, oh, where's the necklace? And Clark tells him to go look in the cornfield himself, um, which makes sense. Uh, and that kind of goes into our B-plot where with uh, Lana and Whitney kind of dealing with the fact that she's not really sure what Whitney's about. During all this, you also have Lex and Clark talking, and he tries to play the love doctor between Clark and Lana. He gives Clark the necklace in a uh, lead-lined box. Um, which also gives us a kind of uh, Easter egg because it comes. It came from his mother, and it's supposed to represent the Saint George, who's a patron saint of Boy Scouts. And so, um, and in the comics, Superman is always called the Big Blue Boy Scout. Yep. Um, or simply also, just, or simply just the Boy Scout. Yes. We also get in here. I believe it's this episode where Clark wakes up in the morning and tells his dad he was floating, or we see him floating. Yeah, he falls. His bed goes. On like a slant, and then it just completely just falls or collapses to the ground. Yep. And again, this is that conversation he has with Jonathan about this idea. And Jonathan's like, once you start defying the laws of gravity, I really don't know what to say anymore. Um, and again, goes to Jonathan's apprehension of Clark doing anything they could put what he is um, out there. But to get back to the main plot, Bug Kid goes home, somehow getting bit by kryptonite insects, uh, clears up all your acne. He's mean to his mom. Uh, she yells at him. He's now all, guess, kind of supposed to be, like, hot. 
and he starts molting um, at some point, which was a pretty cool effect for this show. Um, he also decides to get really alpha and ask Alana out and then randomly attacks, attacks uh, Clark and John in the barn for no apparent reason. You're forgetting what happens on the way back on what it, what he does to Whitney. He, oh yes. That, yes, how, yes. How it was so bad. It was good. Yes. He does. Um, from the farmer's market, uh, he kind of, he asked Lana if, uh, she can tutor him. Yeah. And Whitney kind of says like, Oh, there's not a competition. And then he runs, hides in a tree and then attacks Whitney's car, uh, who flips it, which the car part of the special effects looked really well. Uh, Clark saves Whitney. The truck explodes. Clark is fine. Whitney doesn't remember anything. He somehow gets released from the hospital that day, even though he flipped his car and it exploded. Yeah, I think they, they would have kept him a few days for, for just yeah. monitoring. I guess this is the time before concussions. Uh. <laughs> um, let's see. So basically, we after that, Whitney comes out of the hospital at some point. We're back in the school. Chloe calls out Clark for shutting her out and thinks that she's he's ditching her. This has Clark kind of turn around, and Chloe ends up solving the entire thing, bringing up some weird case of some dudes in South America getting bug stuff, which is probably nothing. The gang is joined by Pete. They go and break into Bug's house. They find that it's hot, and in his room is all spiderwebs uh, for some reason, even though we never saw spiders. And we see our first dead body of the show, which would be the bug's mummy. Yes, that was a really bad dad joke because she was mummified. And, well, no, it's, he basically vampired her. Yeah, but without why? Actually, he's, he, he made some bad pun about bugs eat, killing their mothers, but why was she drained of fluid? He says, first, I'll, I'll, first I eat, I molt, and then I mate. So he ate her? It's hard to tell with the way yeah. the body looks. Yeah. She's basically mummified, and she's like in some cobwebs, like kind of like a, a moth cocoon type of thing. Yeah, well, the episode of the title is Metamorphosis. Yeah. Um... And we also got, well, when he had earlier randomly attacked Clark and John, um, he was crawling on the ceiling and he left some weird slime prints, which I also did not know that bugs leave. Um, and Clark catches, although it's a cool scene and something you see all the time in Flash, um, we see like kind of Superman speed vision where bug attacks John, kicks him off like a banister or like a second floor, and Clark speeds over and grabs him. It's more slow-mo than anything else. Yeah, but he's... Well, yeah, it's a slow-mo thing, but we see Clark see, like kind of seeing in super speed. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the episode where in season four, when Bart first makes an appearance, they have... You see yellow, yellow outline for Bart 
and for Clark, you see a blue outline. Oh, when they're moving at super speed? Yeah. Okay, I got this more of, um again, with, like, comparison to the Flash, like, when he's kind of standing there and you see stuff going on, like a knife being thrown at him, the object is moving really slow, but he's moving at regular speed, and it's basically the exact same effect that we get here, where Jonathan's yeah. moving at super slow falling, and Clark just kind of, like, runs up and catches him, and then falls back and destroys the blades of some farm equipment. Yeah, if I were, if I was, if I was John, I'd be, like, I, he should be putting down insurance on everything. Everything, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, why did Clark fall back? Like, we know he's super strong, so he moved there fast, and then why did he just, like, catch him? He just, like, kind of fell with him? There was no way he could make a, uh, like, a basket catch? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just was like a, I feel like they just kind of wrote it in as a haphazardly way to, like, oh, look, these blades didn't hurt him, and he actually bent them on the thing that John was literally just trying to fix. Yeah, so he so uh, good job, Clark. Maybe that's why this uh, when we get to it, this farm is in such uh, economic dire straits. Yeah, and yeah, that that would actually make a lot of sense. All right, and then basically we have one other little part of this plot, and that is our big fight scene. Clark remembers that him and Pete used to hang out with Bug in a treehouse. They go there, they find Lana in a web blanket that looks like it got bought from a craft store. Uh, it reminded me a lot of. The sheet that gets covered, uh, Kim Cattrall in Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, Bug leaves. Uh, Clark had told Whitney where to look. Clark goes after Bug. They fight in a foundry or metal place. where there is, There's kryptonite everywhere. Everywhere. Except for this one little spot where there is a, I don't know, three foot wide corner of lead. And he, but that's open? Yeah, and he... It's sort of a payoff of Lex giving him the uh, the box, which he at first he Clark declines, and he Lex says, "What's with Kent's and not accepting gifts from people?" Yep, and we kind of this is our first kind of watching Clark kind of figure out lead and the meteor rocks. So it's still not called kryptonite; they're still just referred to as the meteor rocks. But basically, he um, kicks Bug, who goes flying, and trying to get up, hits a lever, and drops a giant weight on his body, and seemingly dies, and is all we see is a disbursement of roaches, and that's basically the act. Well, the last little part is, Clark goes to go bring the necklace back, opens up the thing, but before he can knock on the door, Lana starts to come out, and he just hangs it on the door handle and speeds away. And Lana looks around like, oh, awesome, someone gave me my necklace, but didn't stick around, and just walks back in. There's also some uh, world or world building or character building with Clark opens the box and puts his hand near it, and you get to see some a really uh, disturbing visual effect on uh, his hand. Yeah, so like, I think this is a good, so that was basically the main plot, and we can get now into the, like, I guess the breakdown of the episode, and I agree, the they use it a lot going forward, but they kind of... It, uh, it eventually gets changed, like it changes all a lot throughout the show, like the way, uh, sometimes I think at a certain point they just got rid of the whole, the effect entirely, 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I kind of we'll have to see why like maybe there's some sort of change, but it almost looks like he's getting like rapid arthritis. Like it looks, yeah, it looks really like painful. His, yeah, it looks like his veins are literally hardening. Yes, exactly. It looks like his veins are hardening and they're turning green, which it, it is a great effect. It's like one of the few kind of non-practical effects that look really good in this show. Because I guess that's one of the main things that really ages this is all the CGI or green screen work are horrible at best. Oh, speaking of CGI, some of the bad stuff, like the the uh, scene where the where Wendy's car explodes, that fire did not look good. Oh no! Uh, I, I again, when we get into next episode, we could talk about fire, but um, that green screen work when after the explosion and like Clark and Whitney in the fire it was so bad. I was like, I can see the rotoscoping around them. But they, the other one thing I did notice is they like to destroy cars in this show because the first episode we saw, like... Lex's car get totaled. Yeah, all the cars in 1989. We have the the Volkswagen Bug and Whitney's truck in this episode. They were just like, I guess cars are cheaper than anything else and they are a good effect. And we also saw the other car. There was like a truck in the last episode with a Scarecrow guy and then Clark ripped it up. He drove it through the walls and stuff. So they really, in these first two episodes, they destroyed, like, ten cars. Well, um, with, in Adventures, in the Adventures of Superman, uh, George Reeves liked to come in and, like, break through a wall. Like, smash through a wall. Maybe that's what they, they wanted to do with Smallville. Like, and have, the, have a certain, have their version of that, but with something up with, with cars. It makes sense, because... Everybody, you know, most people have seen a car, driven a car, been in a car, know the weight and the power that a car has and how strong the metal is. So to see someone kind of pull a car apart so easily or lift a car, whatever he's doing with the car, uh, is kind of showing how strong and how, uh, I guess, invulnerable Clark is. But um, we also, but going going back to breaking that, breaking down the episode... I liked everything between Lionel and Lex. Yes. I would say, to me, the three best kind of uh, scenes or sequences in this are the two father-sons, so Lex and Lionel and Clark and John, and then actually Clark and Lex. I think those are the biggest world-slash-character-building things we see in this episode. Um, Because even when we are with Clark and Lex, we get to learn a lot about Clark, or I mean, uh, Lex and Lionel's relationship. Because he shows uh, the Battle of Troy with the Trojan horse thing. And Clark's like, oh, what a cool gift. Like, your dad gave it to you when you were eight. And he's like, it wasn't a gift. It was a lesson. Yeah, about his, about strategy and how you win a battle. Yeah. Which is a direct kind of leads into what we see in the next episode as well with their discussion. Also, there's the moment where Lex is... I don't want to say angry where he's angry or it's more of fascinated fascinated by he strings like he strings you up in a cornfield and the next day you just you save his life yeah it's an interesting where he's kind of working clark in a way to kind of see who clark is because he also does like oh you could just like left him there and clark kind of gives him a look and like he's like i'm joking of course but he says it in a kind of um just i'm joking i'm saying i'm joking now but i want to see what you had to say about that kind of testing clark's morals or trying to see how far he would be willing willing to go to get lana 
Um, well, we do have some cool lines from Lex where he says, like, oh, maybe you'll make a career out of saving people. Because this is, again, the second time Clark has saved someone from a car. Which you know, we also get in the next episode, too. Yeah. I guess you're you're kind of right. Like, they really do love the putting Clark and ripping things off of cars. It's the easiest thing they could do, aside from just having him breaking breaking through walls every five minutes. Yeah, I, I, I wonder I, I wonder if it's, like, a lot cheaper of an effect to get, like, a breakaway car door or a breakaway window than to build a breakaway wall or something. I guess you could also write it off more if, like, someone asks a question. It's like, why is there a fish-shaped hole in this wall as opposed to, oh, this car exploded and the door is, you know, a couple feet farther away than it should be. Yeah. Um, the only other thing, I guess, in kind of the overall thoughts that I had was that it definitely seemed to me that Lex noticed the change in Clark when he opened up the lead box. It, to me, looked like, oh, at least on the expression of Lex looking at Clark, he noticed that there's something happened there. I don't know if you got that. Yeah. There's also the moment with uh, the near... Uh, basically, the scene with in the barn with Lana and Clark, where uh, Clark calls it his fortress of sol- or he, I think either Clark says that he or Jonathan likes to call it, or he, yeah, he likes to call it his fortress of solitude. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think w- Jonathan tells him, oh, it's your fortress of solitude, and he kind of is reiterating that story to Lana. He, um, or I think the reason they called it that is, I don't think they... They were. They didn't. I don't think they. They expected to be to make it to, getting to the actual, forces of solitude. No, they play around with that for a long time because I think I don't remember what season, but it's definitely towards the end of high school when they have, the Native American cave. The Kawachi caves. Yes, and that's sort of like a. I noticed I said proto a lot in the last episode, but it's kind of like their pretend early version of a fortress of solitude. Yes, and there's the false, the false version, the false version of a uh, a family member who comes out of the wall. Oh, I completely do not remember that. Is it kind of like a Return of the Jedi Luke in the forest where he sees Vader kind of situation? I'll just I'll spoil it. It's it's the end of season. I want to say it's the end of season three. Where Adrian Plecki comes out of the cave. Wait, what? I didn't even know, remember her being in the show. Yeah, she played. She said that she was his cousin, Kara. Oh wow! Because um, I remember what's her name, Vandervoort plays Kara. Yeah, Laura Vandervoort plays uh, Supergirl. And again, it was another thing of. Well, after season seven, Alfred Goff and Miles Miller left the show, at showrunners. And I'm I'm blanking on who took over, but they Supergirl was on the the last big character that like from the Superman mythos that they brought in in Z, in season seven was Supergirl, the Vandervoort version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting. I had no idea that Pilecki was in this. She's like kind of another all star comic C- book NC- actress. NCW. Yeah. Had like the best scene or sequence. The for me, one of the best scenes was, as I said earlier, the the Clark putting two and two together about lead in at during the end battle. 
Okay. Or during yeah. the the fight at the end of the episode, and how he go it goes from being Arkin Greg Arkins like him le- basically winning the fight at first, then it just takes does a complete one eighty goes in Clark's favor. Yeah, it was a that was a good scene. My favorite scene or sequence. Um, I had two, and I'm still trying to battle which one I liked more. But I do still think it's Clark and Jonathan talking about the floating. I don't know what it is, but Schneider is just great in the show. And any scene that he's in, I'm just all about. Like He has such a great presence of being this dad who loves his son and is afraid for his son and trying to, to balance that overprotectiveness, which he tends to fall on the too overprotective, especially as we get into the next episode. But I, I don't know what it is, but anytime I see Clark and John talk together, it just makes me mad at how bad Jonathan Kent is in Man of Steel. Yeah, I, I agree with your your second one about Lex taking just a single bite of the apple and then tossing yeah. it aside. It just it felt so like, yeah, this is, that is Lex something, really is. Yeah, that's something that Lex would do in the comics. Yeah, it just felt like that was one of the best, like, oh, this is the Lex that we will see kind of scene. As opposed to Lex that we do get for a while, which I do think is a very interesting thing as we build to, from Lex, this kind of rich boy kind of screwing around. Um, Because he is significantly older than everybody, which it is, if you think about it, it's kind of weird as we go through that this, like, Lex is, what, like 22, supposedly? 23? 21. So he's 21 and Clark is a freshman in high school, so he's like 15, 16? 14. Oh, God. So that makes it even of a weirder relationship. Yeah, it's like, why why are you hanging out with the high schooler, man? You should have friends of your own. Especially when he kind of flirts with Lana, because there's definitely like a slight flirtation when he sees Lana. He kind of hints at what uh, Whitney was doing the day before. Yeah. I guess we can move on to the next part. Uh, what was your favorite line or the best line in this episode? If you had one. If not, it's all right. Uh, let me think. All right. I guess while you're thinking, I'll give my, my favorite one... Um, I think I liked it a lot because it was like one of the first times we get to see Clark kind of fight back against Whitney is when uh, I think Lana says something about like, oh, I didn't see you at the dance, which she obviously knew from the last episode that he wasn't at the dance. And his response is, I was a little tied up, basically dead staring Whitney in the face. I don't know why, but I really liked the, the way Welling delivered that line and the look that he gave. Oh, now I know my favorite uh, line in the episode. It's It's right after... Uh, uh, Lana is calling Whitney out in his bullshit about her necklace. So she's going to, she's going to find Clark and apologize. And Greg comes to, or he passes her and says, are you blowing me off for the loser Clark Kent? <laughs> it just shows how much of an asshole he, that he's become. Yeah, they do an interesting thing in this episode of turning the bullied, like kind of nerd kid into the worst kind of bully. Yeah, an obnoxious asshole. Yeah. All right. What was the worst scene or sequence you thought in this episode? Maybe something you wish would have got cut out or was just way too cheesy? The scene where Greg decides to eat his mother. (laughs) Yeah. Because that was so cheesy. A lot of his lines are so cheesy. I wrote down, I got two two of the ones that he said was before he turned into Bug Boy was who's going to take care of my bugs. And he said in this really whiny... Who's going to take care of my bugs? Exactly. Because she's going to send him off to military school. And then later on, when he has the confrontation with Whitney at the farmer's market, Whitney walks away and he kind of goes, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. Yeah. 
it was such a bad play on sometimes you're like I don't know if you ever heard the, the sometimes walking. you're the ham, hammer sometimes you're the nail yeah and sometimes I forgot what it was but the walking they did the similar type of thing on Walking Dead sometimes you're the the cattle and sometimes you're the bull or something yeah I'm sure that there's different ways which does remind me we get to see the which I believe we see a lot in the show Clark nailing something with his thumb and just shoving the nail into the board yeah it wasn't a bad thing but like it does go into when we talk about the effects the sound effects were so bad in this episode bug they were giving him like jaguar noises when he would do stuff it was ridiculous it's basically that whatever they used for bug they saved on a file and they used for vixen later on i think except for like he kind of had like a when he would enter it would just be like kind of locust noises. They're not really there. It was kind of used almost like a, an entrance music kind of thing for him. But like no one in the show recognizes it. It's just for the viewer. I don't know if you noticed that. I did. I was just. Uh, yeah, why I know. am I watching this? It's this is the very early on of the show where we. Yeah, this is basically from season one to, to about season. And for the first three seasons, it's kind of hard to watch. I mean, despite having a lot of really good, like, characters on it, like, really good actors, the writing is not that great. No, it's not, because I think early on, they never really had, I guess, maybe any idea of where the show was going to go, so there's not really a huge... Yeah, it's more of an identity crisis, trying to find yeah. out what, what type of show it wants to be. Because it really starts off, like we said, like, Freak of the Week, kind of like any sort of procedural show... Um, like Buffy. Yes, it's exactly like Buffy. I don't know. Did it have as much like teenage drama? Well, when the show was first announced, people were concerned that they concerned about the show and what they were going to do story wise because another show that was airing at the time on WB was Dawson's Creek. Oh, sweet Jesus! In season three of uh, Flash, John was or uh, Jay Garrick takes Barry back to nineteen eighty eight, and he and Dawson's Creek is on. In the diner they're, they're at. Fun fact: John Wesley Ship played uh, the main character's uh, father. It's the next thing. Did you have what the hell moment um, that was so out there and random and weird that you just didn't understand how the writers thought this should fit? Probably the fact that Clark indirectly, quote unquote, killed somebody. <laughs> yeah, I guess he kind of kicks him into the thing and killed him and kind of killed him. I guess they retcon that later on when we get to that 200th episode. For me, it was Bug's mom. She was just so weird. yeah. Her, her too. She's not that was. She was they 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 made a big mistake with that casting. Yeah, to me, the weirdest her weirder scene though is I think it's after he's already turned into Bug. And I mean, oh, it's, it's when the, before he comes home, or before he comes back. Yeah, and like the house is really hot, and then she opens his room, and all the cases are broken. So there's bugs everywhere, and she just like looks and's like, Ugh, and then just closes the door. Like, you're still in the same house. All his bugs, they're not going to stay in his room. They're going to go yeah, wherever they want. They're bugs. It's the scene right before her demise. Yes. So. I have another what the what the hell moment. It's when he's in the, sho the shower scene where he's molting. Oh, yeah. I actually like the effect, but that was a really a gross hard. scene. It's a, yeah, it's a little hard to watch. Um. I saw that kind of a, how they did that in the effects. It was actually lunch meat. So if you actually look at the piece, I think it's like the first piece that falls. If you actually know that it's lunch meat, you could look at it and go, "Oh yeah, I think I think that's like roast turkey." Yeah, when Clark, Chloe, and Pete go to the house to investigate, they see the sh the shower or 
they see the skin in the uh, somewhere. For, I think it's in the uh, bathroom, or is it? In yeah, the room? bathroom. And it looks, yeah, it looked, it looks very much like uh, dolly meat. Yeah, the effect was really good, especially when it's like on his face and he's peeling. Um, it was gross. Oh, where uh, it looks but... like he's literally ripping out of his skin. Yeah. And, and, yeah. It was a pretty good effect. Right? It was really gross, but yeah, it's surprising to be in a show like this. That was a little buffy for them. Next thing uh, we could talk about the bad guy this week. Uh, I think they basically just call him Chloe. Dubs him Bug Boy, kind of doing her best, or I guess her her best her Cisco. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Arkin's powers are so similar to a character we were talking about before we started, but uh, Helgramite, um, character I've never heard of, and he kind of looks like a human praying mantis. Yeah, I've seen the, the character. I would not want to be in a dark alley and see that. And there's actually a Helgramite insect that they based it off. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, apparently they use Helgramite in an episode of Supergirl as well. But he looks more, um, he looks human. I'm looking at a picture right now, but he's got kind of like a predator mouth thing going on. Was it season two? Uh, like, once they moved over to CW? I guess, maybe. I'm, it just showed up in a picture in um, the DC Wiki thing, if you look up Helgramite. Oh, wait, no, this is... I remember the I remember the episode with Hel, with Helgramite. It was season one, and it was... It was an episode... Yeah, he totally gets scrubbed out by uh, uh, Kara's sister. Oh, by Alex? Yeah, she just sh- shoots him. Yeah, there's a couple different pictures on here. One, he looks kind of like a bug version of Killer Croc. There's an actual insect that looks up, kind of looks like a centipede, but it's got like pinchers yeah. on the mouth. Um, but the other ones, he kind of looks like a beetle with pinchers on the mouth. He, he's cheese. But uh, we got some cool... He was pretty interesting. It is also the first uh, villain that we get that has super strength and kind of super agility. Um, which is some of the worst effects in this episode. His jumping is pretty terrible looking. Yeah. Um, and then the actor was Chad Danella, and he is one of several uh, stars of Final Destination that appeared on Smallville, which makes sense because it was like the same time period. Yeah, I had no idea until, until like years later. I think it was a, a few years ago I saw the first one. The first one, the original one, is was a really interesting idea, and as they went through, they just got dumber and dumber, and they were almost... I like the one that turned out to be a prequel. Oh, I don't think I... I think maybe I went to the second one. It was the only other one I saw. Yeah, it's the so... one... Like, they're on the plane. The the remaining characters, the surviving characters end up on a plane, and the scene, and it basically picks... It's sort of The Thing 2011 and The Thing... Oh, okay. Yeah, so it picks way... up with Ali Larder and... The other two guys on the plane, with Devin Sawa just going like freaking out, saying that we're gonna die, we're gonna die, or something. Yeah, because she stole. They kill her off in the second movie in a very terrible way. But again, that's another podcast. That is the Final Destination podcast. All right. So, who would you give best performer of the week? I guess this would be the actor doing his best work. Um, oh, John not, Schneider. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I feel like it's he's every episode he's going to be the guy to beat. Um, to me, until we start getting more Lionel, he's kind of always the actor that 
is going to be the one to beat. Yeah, I have a feeling once we get to season two, it's going to be a half and half with, or it's going to be like 33% or 33.3% with Rosenbaum, uh, Schneider, and Glover. Yes, which I forgot to say, Glover actually went, he graduated from the same college I did. Wow. Yeah, he spoke there after I graduated, and I was really mad that I wasn't still there. <laughs> he gave, like, the commencement speech for, like, the year after I graduated. If I, I was like, If I ever it. met him, I would just say, so, uh, you, uh, kissed a gremlin, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, he's in Gremlins too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then, who is your worst performer of the week? So that would be the actor who gave the cheesiest performance, or just was terrible. Uh, it's a tie between Chad Danella and the actor actress who played his mother. Yeah, I I, I agreed. At first, I I was gonna go with Bug, but remembering the, I don't think she only had like three scenes, but they were all very bad. Uh, she was giving her best nineteen eighties horror movie like overbearing mother in her three scenes. But it could have been mu- it could have been much worse. It could have been the episode in season I want to say. Yeah, either two or three, where that that the crazy woman who thinks that Lex is either Clark or Lex is her son that went missing. Oh yes, yes, I remember her. That tends to be a plot point in any show where there's an like an adoption or someone's, I guess, origins are up in the air. Uh, though you get an episode where they get met by a crazy person saying that they're their parent. Yeah, it's not. I yeah, just... it's a. It's a trope that gets used all the time. And then, so Easter eggs, we already covered one. Okay, um, the actress, I, I was talking about Gabrielle Rose. That was the actress from what? That, that was the actress who played, uh, who played... Oh, the mom? The yeah. fake mom? Oh, okay. All right, so Easter eggs, we already talked about the St. George Boy Scout thing. Um, the only other one that I found in here was, um, so Chloe makes a, a comment about uh, Kafka, and that had to yeah. do with the... A man named Gregor Samsa who transforms into a giant beetle in Kafka's book. So that was the only kind of other little Easter egg I had found. I mean, they seem to have used most of them up in the pilot because they filmed basically these two at the same time. Did you have any Easter eggs that you found or? More uh, trivia. Okay. Uh, Chad Danella played a similar type of character in on the X-Files back in 93 titled the episode name was Hungry. Really? He must have been like a teenager, like actual teenager at that point. Yeah. Uh, After this episode, the WB placed a full season order. So, episode two episodes out of out of the thirteen episode order, or the the series or the episode order, it got the the back nine. Oh, good. Uh, I did notice that like this is a shorter season. I don't remember. I feel like they got longer as we went on, and I was kind of excited to see that this was not a very long first season. Yeah, and there's um, Greg's car is a Vol- is a Volkswagen Beagle- Beetle, aka a slug bug, <laughs> and this one is a comic book uh, trivia piece about Lana. Uh, she assumed the identity of Insect Queen. After receiving insect-like powers from an alien in Superboy issue 124 from October 1965. Yeah, I do remember seeing that that happened. That is way before my time of reading Superman, because that would be Silver Age. Yeah. The only other little thing I had was I just wanted to read the absolutely amazing soundtrack that was featured in this episode. Oh, wait, I have one last thing. It's the uh, the, the mistakes of the episode, like the, oh, the production the, errors. Awesome. 
when Clark is explaining to Wendy how to find the tree fort, Clark speeds away while Wendy is unlooking. However, the shadow of someone walking away from the car can be seen when Wendy looks back to where Clark was standing moments before. <laughs> That's so <weird. laughs> Yeah. So he just, like, kind of, like, moved out of camera, but they did not think about where the sun was or the lighting. Yeah. Uh, Clark's in the... The next two are continuity errors. Clark's hair goes from long to short and back to long as he, Pete, and Chloe are talking about Greg's tree fort. I'm guessing that's, I guess, reshoots from when, because I, like we said, like the first, the pilot in this episode kind of got filmed together. I'm guessing that had to do with the reshoots and they just didn't care enough. I didn't notice it, like, unless I was looking for it. I I didn't notice it just watching it without knowing that. Well, the I'm, I'm guessing it's either that and technically there's two first episodes there's the pilot and then the second episode because the pilot gets is there the pilot and they change th- things going forward with episode two for example flash episode the the flash uh pilot you see the uh linda linda park star labs thing then they uh then after that airs they pretty much erase that whole thing Oh, I don't remember this at all, so he did a good enough job for someone that's watched every episode. Yeah. I'm going to have to look up that Linda Park stuff, because we don't see her in Flash until, you know, that, that five minutes where Iris has an actual job. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> next is an unsynchronized audiovisual stuff. When Greg crashes his bug into the utility pole, the sound effects are that of radiator, radiator hissing and the engine stalling. The VW bug engine is located in the back of the car the front is basically a trunk yeah that's a pretty famous part of a vw bug i think most people would know but yeah that's all i've got all right so i have two things one is going the music from this episode which is ridiculous so we get our obligatory lifehouse song everything as i mentioned earlier we got papa roach's last resort yeah we got weezer yeah weezer island in the sun i do from better than ezra underdog from turn breaks the only other band like I really knew was Cake, and that was Love You Madly was the song. There are two deleted scenes from this episode that I guess are found on the Season 1 DVD. Have you ever seen them? Uh, no. All right, I'll give you a quick breakdown. One is when Clark comes downstairs, he actually, when he's going to tell his parents about floating, he actually runs in and Pete is there having breakfast with his parents, and Pete tells them uh, that two Whitney and two of his friends' trucks during the homecoming dance were like flipped over or something like that. And Martha looks at Clark and says she wonder who would do that. And Pete tells her that they think it was a prank from a rival school. <laughs> Which I kind of get why they would cut this out because it makes Clark, he's, it makes him so that he's abusing his powers in a way. Like he's using them yeah. in a more childish way. And the second deleted scene is actually uh, a scene between Jonathan and Martha where he, Jonathan is re- relaying clark telling him how he was floating and martha replies he needs to get over his fear of heights which i guess is kind of a not a call back but it will be a reference to when pete says the same thing later on about clark never wanting to be in the treehouse oh by the way uh technically this is a uh sort of a uh part two of a pilot so because it was written by uh goff and millar oh really yeah yeah the episodes were like they actually, the showrunners wrote, they basically wrote more than uh, others would. I'm not calling out any any shows. Um, Flash. <laughs> yeah, I know. I cannot wait for this season to be over that show. 
and actually um michael green who wrote uh supergirl like the um the new 52 supergirl he also wrote batman lovers and madmen he also co-wrote batman or superman Bat- the superman batman comic okay i definitely i, I know i read the 52 supergirl i really liked that story with that character since rebirth i know i personally have not been reading her book they did kind of a similar thing that they did with batgirl and kind of well aged her down uh the book got canceled so oh well that's also probably why i'm not reading it he he also was involved with the screenplay for green lantern oh god well there are a lot of people involved with that that went on to yeah, do better Ber- things well Ber- berlanti and Guggen- mark guggenheim are also involved or were also involved with the script for that movie and he he worked on the screenplay for logan Oh wow! Now that's that's some real cred. Yeah, I'm surprised. Our, and he also did. He also wrote the story, pl- our plot for Alien Covenant. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen it yet. I've kind of don't want to involve myself in any of the Prometheus post stuff with Alien. I want to just remember the last one that I think is worthwhile, and then end it there. It's my head continuity stops. Yeah, the uh, episode four X-ray or. The next, our next episode, episodes X-Ray and Cool. Like, Green wrote Cool. Mark Ver- Verheiden wrote, uh, X-Ray. He, he worked on action, co- action comics. He wrote, uh, so- he wrote, he actually, uh, worked on the scripts for The Mask and Time Cop. Oh, really? Like the Jim Carrey mask? Yeah. Oh, okay. And Time Cop is, Time Cop is, it's JVD, so it's and, totally awesome. Yeah, both comic book movies. Oh, Time Cop's a comic book? Yeah, Dark Horse. I did not know that. Does JVD have a mullet in the comic? Well, the... And I know that's one of the movies that they did, like, 17 sequels to that went, called, came out on VHS or DVD. It looks, actually... There were only... T- Ironically, there were only two issues of the comic. That's great source material. Yeah, it was an, it was an anthology comic. Like, d- pretty much Dark Horse Presents. Uh, so it was like, if you haven't read one of the outside of the big two, the big two, you kind of get those, um, as like back of the issue, like four or five. Uh, if you've been reading Rebirth, there's a lot of those right now because they created like six or seven new characters that have their books. Yeah. Side, sideways, the character in sideways. Yeah. The only one I've been reading is Damage because he's basically yeah. DC Hulk. But yeah, I haven't read, it's like Sideways and there's like the Terrifics. Which is not really, they're not new characters, it's kind of it's like... It's basically just Fantastic Four. Yeah, and there's like four more. There's like a, another assassin character, but she's like a woman, uh, I believe. Silencer. Yeah, they do this all the time. Hopefully some of them say, I haven't mind damage, She's that's been kind of interesting. I just have, I just want a, I just want a Justice Society book. Is that, is that too much to ask? Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, it's not going to happen because they're, they are, they're using Mr. Terrific. Um... But they could do Justice Society without him. They could do some of the other older characters. Yeah, they could. There's they, like Doctor Midnight or whatever. Yeah, Doctor Midnight, Wildcat, Alan Scott. They've gone off on like quite a tangent here. Or I guess on our next episode is uh, titled Hothead. So Coach Walt Arnold is obsessed with winning. Meteorox and his sauna have given him the power to cause objects to burst into flame. Uh, Clark defies Jonathan and joins the football team. Mono defies expectations, quits cheerleading, and waits tables. Lex defies his father in a, in a business plan that saves several people their jobs. The coach attacks the principal, a player, and Chloe before Clark stops him. And so, Coach Walt, played by the one, the only, Dan Loria. Yes, this is our definitely our first huge cameo. Well, no, and, not, not cameo. Big, first big like villain. Yes. 
Uh, he's also our, he's our first adult villain. But I mean, like cameo as in our first maybe guest appearance. Yeah, that's probably a better term for it. our first big guest appearance of someone showing up who's a big name outside of the show um, who is showing up just to lend their talents, which Dan Loria definitely went all out on this episode. And I'll bring up my history and my family's history with Dan Loria when we talk about that episode. Yes, that will definitely be. I'm interested to hear. All right, so let's do our plugs. Uh, you want to start? Uh, coming soon will be a video game hour special pre 3 with myself, Hunter Davenport, and a special guest. Uh, I am a semi-regular guest on the Phantom Zone podcast, as is Lou. Yep. You can find the Phantom Zone on YouTube, iTunes, FeedBurner. I highly recommend joining the the Phantom Zone Facebook group. We only talk comics, and lately it's been a lot of Infinity War. Well, it just came came out like a week ago. Yeah, and a lot of people are still in mourning. All right, so um, you can find me on Twitter, Lou A. Gonzalez. Same on Instagram. I'm in the Phantom Zone Facebook group. As our, as Alan said, I am a semi-regular guest on the Phantom Zone, especially when there's Legion or CW stuff. Um, a lot of my information came from smallvillewikia.com, and uh, we'll check you on the next episode. And don't forget, this podcast stands for Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Mm-hmm.